Hi, and thank you for tuning in. You know, I don't know anybody doesn't have a hard time understanding what leadership is about. It has changed in the 21st century. And because it has changed, you know, there's not a lot of information out there that pulls it all together so that you have the steps you need to be the best leader that you can. Leadership is all about influence. And this podcast is about helping you understand how to influence others and to build the collaborative team that provides you the inclusive high-performing workplace that you are looking for. Whether this is the first job you've had as a leader, whether you're an individual contributor, or you've been in leadership for 30 years, there is something for you on this particular podcast. It's called Remarkable Leadership Lessons, shared by Denise Cooper and her friends. And if you like, you can always go over to my website and pick up other gems that will help you become a remarkable leader. There is so much discussion right now among leaders around how do we create psychologically safe, high potential, high creative, high performing, inclusive workplaces. And, you know, if you read, as I read, I own my own stuff here, as I read all the literature and everything on it, they all describe what that is. And they give you a little peppering here of what you might do or a tip here, what it might do. But really breaking it down is is something that I try to do here on the podcast on a regular basis. What are the aspects of it? What should you consider? How do you put together a plan so that you can move forward and that you understand what progress begins to look like, as well as what are the challenges and opportunities, obstacles, but also, what are your options? Because in in the end, it's not what you say, it's what you do that creates community in your workplace that allows you to capture all the beauty and gifts from great customer service and great rave, raving reviews, raving fans, payroll in the bank, investors who love you. And so how do we pull all of that together, as well as how do you learn how to be your best self as a leader? Well, today we're going to be talking about one aspect of creating a community that is um, inclusive as well as high performing, and that is neurodivergence and neurodivergency, which is a new topic, primarily that is more encompassing or slightly more encompassing to what we've talked about in the in the past about accessibility. We haven't always talked about what neurodivergence is and what does that mean and then how many people have it. I've in some research I did, it says that one in five or or about 15% of the population has a form of neurodivergency and that they have for the most part been either not diagnosed, and so they're walking around because women tend not to be diagnosed um, with many of these um, neurotypical thinking patterns. Um, But the other is, is that we don't know how to fit them in if they're not like us. And so we leave all the work of fitting in on those people who are different. Inclusion is about us who are neural normal, I guess, or normal, whatever that means, making it welcoming and being curious to be able to see how we actually all fit together and live on this puzzle piece called the earth. 
Um, let me give you a little bit about um, Seada. She has her own business and before the business that she has now, which is called Growing Mighty Leaders, um, she started a digital content agency in 2005. She was like a other handful of university graduates um, who was unemployed working in a rural grocery store. And she took the reins by um, her hands and said, oh, wait a minute, if they won't hire me, then I'll make my own way. And that's one of the things I love about her. She sees a problem. She jumps on it and she finds a way to make a way. We're going to talk a little bit about how she got from a digital company to growing mighty leaders in a few moments, but I want to welcome her into the conversation and Seada, please tell us a little something about yourself that most people wouldn't know. Something about me that most people wouldn't know. I guess that uh, perhaps something most people wouldn't know is that I'm a deeply, deeply spiritual and nature loving person. Uh, something that I hear quite a, maybe not quite a bit, but uh, I'm I'm very uh, intense and intellectual and I'm not ashamed <laughs> of it. Uh, but because my experience is really in the, in the communication, interpersonal, breaking things down into systems, people are often really surprised that despite my very logical, analytical, rational brain, uh, I'm very, very deeply spiritual. I walk in spirit in everything I do day to day. I love spending tons of time outside. And I'm actually a bit of a math nerd. Now I'm fascinated by how do you got from being digital content creator to neurodivergent teacher extraordinaire? It happened a lot quicker than I expected. But over the course of my years leading a content strategy agency, and we still mm -hmm. take on the occasional content strategy project here and there, there was such a wealth of different people, different entrepreneurs, different companies mm -hmm. that I interacted with, over 20 different industries, over 100 different projects. In every single one of those experiences, there was a different set of needs, but mm -hmm. also a lot of commonalities in mm -hmm. terms of the challenges that people faced. And because we are the type of company that we would come in and subcontract for another perhaps uh, web or development or marketing agency. But for what we're coming in to do, which is the, the words, the, the literal interaction between you and anybody who's visiting or interacting with you online, that requires an extremely deep level of empathy. And there are a lot of great copywriters that can come in and they can write the words and pull it out. But there aren't a lot of people who can come in and take leadership of the project. And even if there are people who can come in and who can take leadership of that aspect of the project so that you can hire somebody and delegate to somebody who's going to be responsible for the outcome mm -hmm. and doing it better than you because they have the expertise to push back where needed, to adjust where needed, to manage the resources involved to achieve that outcome. So when you have somebody who has that, that particular ability and the ability of content strategy, well, we kind of took it one further and we were like, okay, well, if we want to scale and expand and bring more people in, we mm -hmm. have to be able to teach other people to bridge that gap. Because mm -hmm. we found when we brought in copywriters and content strategists, we would bring in people who had incredible experience, incredible portfolios, but when it came to the leadership aspect, when it came to that owning the outcomes, to being able to jump in and to represent someone else's team with their clients and to create an environment where they not only feel safe, but excited to hand over the reins to you, that required a whole other level of skill and experience that 
actually had nothing to do with copywriting and nothing to do with content strategy and everything to do with leadership. So while all of this was happening over an eight or nine year span, and it was fun and excellent and beautiful, and you know, there's the ups and downs of business, I realized that this leadership piece, this team building piece, even the, the content that we created to systematize teaching people, it really brought two of my deepest passions in life, which are people and that humanness, that human interaction, mm-hmm. and systems, simplifying mm-hmm. abstract or complicated concepts into simple words, easy to understand concepts and systems. I realized that this really united the two of them. And that showing up in that way for people was something that was really important. And as this was happening, I was going through the process of realizing that I was neurodivergent, exploring you know, what it meant to actually be an autistic person or have ADHD, reprocessing my whole life through that lens. So working with company leaders, working even with these independent contractors that I was bringing in to work with me, it became apparent that my own journey to discovering my neurodivergence in adulthood was everywhere around me. The actual catalyst was that during COVID, like many people, like many people are doing now, all this extra work as a neurodivergent person from the other side of things, Mm -hmm. where I didn't even realize the amount of extra work I was putting in. Autistic burnout and ADHD burnout are two specific things. I, what I faced was autistic burnout, total catatonia. And they actually don't come from the additional challenges as a whole mm-hmm. of those experiences so much as they actually come from the experience of masking, of trying to bridge mm-hmm. the gap. What you mm-hmm. said, where if the world isn't designed to work for us, we have lived our entire lives, especially people diagnosed as adults, trying to bridge the gap ourselves, whether or not we're aware of it. And that is exhausting. Uh, that has a real physical toll, just like mm-hmm. any form of stress. Mm-hmm. And it all caught up to me in one go. And once it did, I had to full stop. My body said, no, there was no other choice. But the gift in that was that in that time, in that space, there was room for clarity that hadn't been there before. And what I realized was that this is what I wanted to be doing. The systems that I had to build to be able to get back up, Mm -hmm. to be able to face the world as a Black woman and Indigenous person on top of being a neurodivergent person. I wanted to teach and show up in everything that I learned through everything in those years, but focused on that. I don't know. I know that the journey feels personal and that you were on it. But as I listen and think about clients that I might have had in the past uh, who are trying to find what their niche is, what their passion is, what they're motivated by, it's very similar. Uh, Something happens. That causes you to say, you know what, I, I this doesn't feel right anymore. And then there's always, I'm, I'm sorry that it was a catatonic breakdown, but there's always a breakdown of some sort. We want to try and catch it before that point. And then there's a point of rediscovery and then reinvigoration out of the process. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, that break is so critical for a lot of people. And even when I came back and I, I was back in my business and showing up in my power and I'm going to save the world and I'm invincible. Spoiler alert, I hit a wall again because mm-hmm. that was not sustainable. Mm-hmm. But what happened first is that I realized that all the people around me, the people who were in the ring with me, who were in the mm-hmm. arena, who were doing the work, were all on the verge of that breaking point. And none of us had been able to see it until I had 
fully broken down and come back. And at that point, although I had for the first time ever these skills and resources, you know, I, I did a deep dive out of desperation into all the science I could possibly find and then basically used my research degree and skills to simplify that into systems. And the fact is that it wasn't enough. And at the time, I felt I felt a lot of shame, perhaps, you know, mm-hmm. I felt not good enough. I felt like, wow, I have the secret, you know, mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm. this magical golden key, and I'm not doing good enough at mm-hmm. bringing it to people. But now several years older and several years wiser, I can see that we can't compromise discomfort to achieve mm-hmm. growth mm-hmm. and that they perhaps needed those breaking, even if it cost us, you know, often those people, we went in a different direction with the business, but there were several people who burnt out and had to take major leaves. You know, that was in a lot of ways, the end of their relationship with the business. And that is something that I can take with a lot more grace than shame now, because I can see how, just like I was on my journey, they're on their journey. And that, that break Although you want to save the people in your care from going through unnecessary suffering, that suffering is often really important to their own growth, regardless of whether they're continuing on that journey with you. And that actually all the work that I'd already done were things that they were then going to take with them and seed wherever Mm -hmm. they were going. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that bringing us back to this idea of being a strong leader and leading people with neurodivergence that capacity to be at peace and understand and celebrate the the longer term impacts of our actions and understand that everything we're doing is is budding and growing into other things, I think is a sense of perspective that is really important because it can be very easy to get caught up in the in the right now and the fires to put out. And uh, it can be difficult to see that bigger perspective. But as a leader, that is where I think I see some of the the most opportunity across the board, not necessarily neurodivergence specific, but uh, mm-hmm. moving from the from the micro to the macro, being able to see at a bit of a top of the tree view. Top of yeah, the and, view. and the universality of all yes. of us are, you know, kind of on that journey. And and the breakdowns doesn't have to be you know a total breakdown, but there are points in our life where we're multiple times going to hit that wall of you know what, I'm not sure this is the right thing for me. I, you know, is this really what I want to do? Or life throws something in your way that says, you got to choose. And, you know, where do we find the answers on it? So anyway, we can have that conversation, but I really, I want to take a few minutes to really do a deep dive on neurodiversity in and of itself, because I think it is something that people don't really know. Um, yes. And there's probably a lot of people out there who have it and don't know it. And, and they may know it and might be afraid to even explore it. This might Absolutely. be their breakdown of finding out that they have it because we have way more tools, better tools now to do diagnosis than we've ever had um, around this. And, not, but, and now the question becomes, how do we help people learn mm-hmm. how to bring that in and to sh- let instead of seeing it as I'm broken or I'm not good enough or any of those kind of limiting comments that come up in our head. So the first thing I want to say is, okay, so we have neurodiversity. It's kind of a catch-all term. In neurodiversity, if you had to break it down, are there like sectors? Like I think of, you know, autism spectrum. Now we say spectrum. 
mm-hmm. which before was you either had it or you didn't. So that's one thing, ADHD. And there's other things. What what it, what can you tell us of, of the differences or categories um, that this falls in? Yeah. So that's a great question. And I, I love to start with definitions because we might think that we understand something in the mm-hmm. same way, but oftentimes we don't. Mm-hmm. So neurodivergence, first of all, I want to, and, and this is not uh, intended to be uh, shaming in any way, but just mm-hmm. in the interest of kind of co-creating and, and upgrading our language as we go. Uh, I think that being neurodivergent is something that you are rather than something that you have. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of what it looks like, those kind of categories, I think autism and ADHD are definitely the two most common. Mm -hmm. And dyslexia is, Mm -hmm. I would say, the third most common that falls Mm -hmm. into the neurodivergence bucket, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, there are a number of other disorders, you could say they're they're termed disorders, including bipolar disorder, for example, that Mm -hmm. can be categorized under the neurodivergent perspective. But depending who you speak to, uh, some people might self-identify as being bipolar, but not as being neurodivergent, for example. That being said, there is so much comorbidity and overlap uh, and different ways that these things can present themselves. I think that neurodivergence evolved as a term, not just to recontextualize and destigmatize these mm-hmm. experiences, although that's a huge, huge part of mm-hmm. it. I know you had done an interview with, I want to say, Katarina uh, mm-hmm. Rivera, mm-hmm. where she talked about that quite a bit, about how we reframe things. And mm-hmm. I was just so delighted. Uh, but also it gives us an opportunity to understand more about ourselves without having the precision of that diagnosis, for example, or having to say, okay, well, this is, this is what my disability looks like and having to break it down. That already is something that's going to other us. And Mm -hmm. you've used words, you know, autism versus autism spectrum disorder, ADHD versus ADD, Mm -hmm. things like this. Dyslexia has remained kind of as a term, but these are all terms that in my lifetime have gone from being highly stigmatized, highly misunderstood terms where I have even recently been in a room where somebody mentioned that uh, somebody autistic mentioned that a dog was presenting as autistic. Mm -hmm. And another person in the room was like, Oh, Ooh, Oh, like, "Mm, really? That's, that's kind of harsh. Don't you Mm -hmm. think Taking it as an insult rather than Mm -hmm. a descriptor? But over the course of my lifetime, I have watched these terms shift in terms of their meaning from being labels that felt like boxes or curses or Mm -hmm. would open you to a lot of danger in some ways, especially as somebody who is part of a marginalized population, to things that are more descriptive, things that Mm -hmm. are a little bit more direct input-based. But we can't go around into every single person's head and educate them on exactly how ADHD is different than you think, exactly how autism is different than you think, and just to change that subconscious bias. That's just not something that we can do. What we can do is we can take a term that doesn't have that association with it, so it's a neutral term, and we can use it to define the patterns Mm -hmm. in these experiences that do make our lives more difficult and set us apart. Mm -hmm. So with that in mind, I'm going to go a little bit more into the the definition of neurodivergence because we can say, okay, it's an umbrella that includes these different conditions or et cetera. But at its root, being neurodivergent means that your brain is wired in a way that it processes input and stimulus differently from someone who is neurotypical. Mm 
Mm-hmm. So in the context of ADHD, this usually looks like you have a different levels of dopamine and norepinephrine in your brain. What that means, these brain juices, as I, as I affectionately call them, <laughs> one of them governs our motivation and our sense of joy and go get it and let's go. Mm-hmm. And one of them governs our self-regulation. So mm-hmm. our ability to not reach across the table and strangle somebody and take a deep breath, for example, that's response inhibition, our, our ability to regulate our big emotions, our capacity to manage time, to understand intrinsically, okay, I have 20 minutes. What does that actually mean in terms of what I can do in 20 minutes? Because in my head, mm-hmm. I, uh, every time I will just believe that I can do 30 or 40 minutes worth of stuff in 20 minutes. And all of this is not to say that we can't function mm-hmm. or that we are broken or that there's something wrong with us. But if you do not have some context around these struggles, then yes, you will almost certainly find yourself thinking those things and trapped in those places in your head and uh, kind of lost in those narratives. And so I really like the term neurodivergence because it doesn't just recontextualize a whole sect of people and what their experience is. It actually gives us a a new path to walk Mm -hmm. in terms of how we interact and create safety. For these people. Because at the end of the day, things that work for neurodivergent people typically will also be very effective for neurotypical people. I'd say mm-hmm. you know, 70, 80% of the time. But it doesn't usually work in reverse, where there is a more finite amount of ways that I can approach something. At the same time, those barriers that I might have in society and in navigating things, number one, studies show that if we impose an external executive function. So if we create systems and processes, there's actually, it, it totally closes the gap between uh, the performance of somebody who's neurodivergent and someone who's not. The other side of things is that there's a whole sect of things that people who are neurodivergent tend to excel in. Mm-hmm. And those are things that are actually enviable skills that many neurotypical people work towards for a long time. You know, on the, the matrix of learning, we're talking about synthesis. We're talking about creating something new, having ideas, being able to put things together. In my case, simplify complicated mm-hmm. things into simple terms. But mm-hmm. because the way it looks can be so different, mm-hmm. we can get stuck in these kind of microcosms. And so using an umbrella term that says, okay, these people are divergent. That means we need to take a divergent path. That doesn't mean we need to coddle them, think less of them, give them less responsibility, just approach them differently and even feel safe knowing that it will probably lift up the people on our team who are neurotypical as well. And so, okay, so let's, let's go there because um, as a leader, most leaders are taught one of a couple ways to lead. And it's mostly from this inspiring storytelling. I find that many leaders, um, don't put enough structure around it, around their communication, the way they uh, want to have goals done. You know, so, and I always say, you know, regularly, everybody here, if you listen to the podcast, there's such a difference between how people lead in the top 100, which is what's always written about versus mm-hmm. the rest of us. And 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 that difference is, is really um, telling in terms of how well we get to success. As a leader, and knowing that for the most part, even though we've the lessened the stigma about neurodivergence uh, thinking, 
it's still there, particularly if you're at an extreme, one extreme or another. So if you're in that kind of, okay, I'm near normal, functional, whatever it is, um, I still might have great skills. You know, we think of the people who might be autistic and who are fabulous at math um, and systems and coding <laughs> and those kinds of things. And so they, there's a limited place they can go. They have to be in tech companies. They have to be in areas where math is an important skill that everybody needs to have in it. But now I'm a leader. I've got the people who are here. Everybody's pretty diverse anyway. Are there two things that I should know or do or say that will either make it more welcoming for people to talk to me about it and to engage and to help me make help them be better? The first thing is to lead by example. Uh, mm -hmm. And we talked about the kind of different methodologies that people bring. And maybe this is something that gets thrown around jargony. So I want to dig into what that means. When I say lead by example, what I mean is if you want your team to feel safe, then don't wait for people to disclose or to tell you their context. Start educating yourself, showing up and making the changes that you need to make for yourself and for the team. And that is the fastest way to the speed of trust being built that I have seen. Uh, you can speak until the cows come home. You can write policy until the cows come home. But until you are showing up in ways that make you uncomfortable. And so when mm -hmm. I say lead by example, perhaps what I really mean to say is normalize discomfort. And maybe that's number two, maybe that's part of number one, it kind of depends how we look at it. But ultimately, you're not going to be able to take discomfort out of the equation. Mm -hmm. And the people on the other side of it are experiencing a lot of discomfort every single day that perhaps is even turned into pain. Mm -hmm. And so by letting yourself be vulnerable, showing up in ways that are a little bit more imperfect, having more reciprocity all of that, it is, it is hard. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it is work that ultimately is self-work. Mm -hmm. And that's why I say lead by example, because I think that most people who are interested in this stuff have the, the, the thought piece under control, the, the policy, so to speak. But in terms of how to bring it into your day-to-day, -day, how to bring it to your team, how to bring it into your leadership style, there is no way around doing the work yourself and doing work that makes you uncomfortable because people will see that uh, they will respect it mm -hmm. and it will not just inspire them, but move them to step up and be vulnerable and courageous in turn a lot of the time because they want to meet. People are naturally givers a lot of the time. It, it's total myth that we are our lazy takers <laughs> mm -hmm. as humans. Mm -hmm. uh, we so deeply want to give mm -hmm. that when we're giving people what they need, they intrinsically want to give us what we need in turn, as long mm -hmm. as it's a values fit there. Mm -hmm. So that means the same thing to both of us. Um, and listening to what you're saying here, it's it's really a deep dive on who I am. But I also think that in, in any change, change process, which this would be a change process for a leader, any, and you can, everybody listening, you, we all know the story of the, the leader who went to charms, leadership charm school, came back and had this whole host of wonderful things. And we all said, okay, that'll last, you know, two weeks, yeah. three weeks. But what you're saying is, is break it down to something simple. And I think the first thing is being really clear about why am I changing? What's yes. the value of it? Because in the process of changing, people are going to push back because we want to be comfortable too. 
So your team is going to know. So neural, whether you're neurodivergent or you're neurotypical, it doesn't really matter. People are going to push back. And I've had that where a leader stepped out and was more vulnerable because that's what, you know, I was saying, you need to give permission through letting people know your story and what risk looks like to you. And Mm -hmm. I swear in the evaluation, I got, you know, 10 or 11 people out of 55 that said, how could you embarrass our leader by making them do something different? And that they were visibly uncomfortable. We want leaders who are perfect and know everything, et cetera. And so I think as, you know, if if you're hearing this and you're considering to improve or to widen your leadership skills, then you have to understand that part of what keeps people comfortable is they think they know you already. Just like you think you know everybody already. And in reality, we we know what the behavior tells us through our own lens, but we actually don't know what the intention is. So be clear about your intention. Be clear Absolutely. at having an inclusive, diverse, and at the diversity, the fact that we're not all alike, that we may come from different backgrounds and we're neurodiverse or not, is actually what we want to try and capture more of, and that yes. we're not going to be good at it. It's like riding a bike. Nobody expects to jump on a bike and immediately ride off into the sunset. You know there's going to be a few bruised knees, uh, bumps on the head. You know, I grew up in a time when we didn't wear, wear helmets. And so, you know, I, I don't know, maybe that's why um, <laughs> scars on my head have not healed, <laughs> whatever. But I think we have to think about it in those terms and there's ways out of it, because otherwise what happens is, is the group that you're in or the team that you're running or your peers will begin to push you back into what's comfortable for them in the process. And, and this, and, and we, you know, I think most people, 99.9% of people don't want to offend and they don't want to make people feel less than if they do it, they do it because they don't know how to do better. So let's flip that to yes. Okay. As a leader, I need to learn a little bit about this, Google it out, call us, Um, Sayada is always available for you to talk to her about it. Other guests on my podcast are also available, but you know, you got to take the action that says I'm committed to doing small steps, something about that. But I'm somebody who is neurodivergent on the team. Mm -hmm. And I think it is important that I decide that I want to be more authentic. I want to bring myself in and I want to use the gifts that I have from this way of thinking, of experience, and a way to look at the world in and of itself, how do I start this conversation either with my peers, mm. my doctor, my my supervisor, my boss? What would you say to them to help them kind of take that first step? That's a great question. And it, I think it does depend on the person because mm-hmm. my everybody who is neurodivergent typically has their own stories and narrative of what that has experientially been like for them. And a lot of the time, uh, especially as adults, we start to think that we're probably neurodivergent a long time before we ever seek or receive, if we ever receive uh, that diagnosis, which, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes easier said than done. So I think that if I were talking to someone who was neurodivergent who was wanting to start to disclose, the first thing I would need to do is ask them why. Why Why now? Why is this important? 
And I'll give some kind of sample answers here. So one answer that I might get in return is that uh, something like what you said, which is that I want to show up more authentically. I want to be able to uh, mask less at work and mm -hmm. recoup some of that energy and drive. And another one that I would hear is that I need some sort of accommodation. There mm -hmm. is something that is a, a huge piece of friction for me that mm -hmm. wouldn't be a piece of friction for a neurotypical person that I perhaps feel a lot of shame over that I know that I could just do better or be easier if they could allow me to work in this flexible way. But I'm afraid that if I even ask, if I even say anything, I'm going to be stamped. And right. even if they don't know it, I'm going to have that uh, subconscious bias leveled in my direction. Now they think that I'm less than. So for people who are in that, that first category, that mm -hmm. category of this is a this is a way in which I would like to show up authentically. I think that the first thing I would say is that it doesn't have to be a, a big coming out, so to speak. It doesn't mm -hmm. have to be a giant official declaration. Mm -hmm. You can dip your toe in. Mm -hmm. You can. Uh, one thing that I like to do uh, or I found helpful. I wouldn't say that it's a go-to that I always recommend, but if someone's feeling really hesitant in that context, I might say, dip your toe in the water by talking about these things in a third-party context. Mm -hmm. So talking about neurodivergence or autism, and even that story I told earlier, it's very possible. That's what that person was doing when they were referencing the dog was uh, showing autistic traits. Mm -hmm. It can be a bit of a litmus test for what the responses are going to be, because it mm -hmm. is true that once you disclose, you can't take that back. Right. Now, if you are someone who wants to be showing up in your power and that authenticity is, is the most important thing for you, then you also don't have to dip your toe. It's okay if you just want to start referring to yourself as neurodivergent or if you want to mention it in an offhand way or if you want to bring your boss aside. All of those are okay. Just make sure that you're approaching it in a way that feels safe for you. Mm -hmm. And that's why I often start with that dipping the toe, because a lot of the time you'll see that people are way more open to it than you think people. It's a term they might even be familiar with and they might even say, oh, hey, I'm neurodivergent. When I mm -hmm. came out as and I, again, I didn't do it in this big way, but when I started to be authentic about my neurodivergence with my team, much to my surprise, it turned out that like half or more of my team was neurodivergent. Mm -hmm. And in turn, as we started to show up in other people's organizations, that was uh, a perspective and an empowerment we were able to bring that destigmatizes all on its own just mm -hmm. by giving different examples. I dare somebody to think less of me for having ADHD or autism. I think less of me sometimes, let's be real. Mm -hmm. But in terms of how I show up in the world, uh, I can now confidently say, well, if I face that barrier, that piece of friction, it's because of my personal needs and know that that's contributing to that empowerment, not taking away. Now, I think the, the, big, the big variable is your, your team, your leadership. What are their values? How do they come to the table? And in that situation, I would say, examine how you show up in the world and at work and what the expectations are at work and consider where there is a values match versus an expectations match. Mm -hmm. And what I mean there is that a, a values match is where you and the organization, the leader specifically, uh, who is directly above you, have a similar code of behavior for what is considered appropriate or not. It's intrinsic. It's not just, yeah, I'd be willing to follow that. It's like, ooh, I'd feel bad if I didn't approach things in that way because that's the right way for me. Mm -hmm. If there's a value different, if there's a values match there, 
then asking for an accommodation is most likely going to be a matter of expectations management, a matter of framing it in a way that contextualizes for them, okay, this is why I need this, and this is how I'm going to be able to show up better. But if there's a values mismatch there, if Mm -hmm. you're like, well, you know, there's just very different codes of behavior, then I would, uh, I would recommend a bit more caution and taking a bit more time, dipping your toe in and seeing whether that values mismatch is something that you're going to be able to navigate around or whether that is something that ultimately is going to be a bigger barrier than any accommodation could overcome. Because at the end of the day, for a neurodivergent person, you are being extremely vulnerable And you are, but more importantly, you are consuming a lot of your capacity and energy to have these conversations. And that's going to be the first conversation, not the last one. So while I want to empower people to show up as much as possible, I have a zero shame policy when it comes to neurodivergence. I think the reality is is that we do have a responsibility to keep people safe. And I want to put that agency in people's hands. So I want to, once again, work at it from a mindset perspective and walk them through, okay, you know, we can be doing this practically in the moment, but I want to make sure that you're not going to go through all of this effort for in six months to basically find another job. Back the other way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Oh, God, we just were scratching the surface on this one, but I think we did walk away with a couple of things that people can can take away. One is that our path is our own path and that we really do have to find it. But whether you're neurodivergent or not, there are going to be times in your life, multiple times in your life where you're going to find that you need to make adjustments and shifts and to take the ownership around doing that. Don't be afraid. Two, when you're dealing with other individuals in it, such as you need to tell someone or talk to your boss about your needs in terms of how to get the best out of you, how for you to show up your most powerful, then practice the conversation first. Make sure that you're comfortable with what it is you're going to be talking about and that you come with a bit of an action plan is kind of what I heard you say. And then the last piece is, is that no matter what it is, there's probably more of a welcoming community out there and people will be much more welcoming to you than probably your fear of rejection because you're different um, is going to present for you. Yeah. Showing up in your difference gives other people permission to show up in their difference. And yeah, and, and, and it's it's yeah. going to be good in, in the end for it. So if you want to talk more with Sayada, how do they get a hold of you? Yes. So if you want to learn more about this stuff, then I highly recommend checking out our YouTube channel, which is Mm -hmm. at Grow Mighty Leaders, all one word. We do a lot of educational content. We have a lot of podcasts and conversations around leadership, but increasingly we're doing a body of educational content that's helping to contextualize these pieces. As Mm -hmm. you guys saw or heard today, this is a big topic. We're really just scratching the surface. And while there's a lot of practical approaches, If you're not going in with the right understanding in yourself, none of them will be effective and you might want to throw them out. If you're looking for something a little bit more personal and you'd like to engage with me directly, then please do email me. My email address is say at growmightyleaders.com. I love these conversations, whether it's in this format and context or whether it's something more casual. I'm someone who's been on both sides. I have been there on the leadership side, but I've also been there on the worker and human side. Mm -hmm. And we really approach things through both lenses. So I look forward to that conversation. Okay, guys. Um, I hope nothing but the best for you because you know I'm fabulous and getting better every day. And with that, see ya. 
Well, as I said before, this is a wrap. Hey, thank you so much for following me. And if you really, really want to make things better and help me get the word out, please go like this wherever you're listening to your podcast. Follow me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. All of that's in the show notes. And for doing that, go to my website and click on the uh, network and you'll be able to get some free gifts that will help you figure out how to be the best leader that you can be. As I always say, if you like it, share it. If you don't like it, share it, because I guarantee it will definitely help you become the most remarkable leader you can be.